Well, good morning, Grace. Everybody doing okay this morning? All right, we're kicking off. It's the, man, it's hard to believe I say kicking off. We're actually closing down. It's the end of this teaching series called Urgent. And I want you to turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And then, like in your Bibles, that little, whatever that thing is, the bookmark, put that there. And then you're gonna go back to 1 Corinthians 6 and just kind of leave that open because we're gonna eventually get there. But I want you to hang with me as we close out a series in which we have been talking about if we, as a pastoral team, had three messages, and we only had three messages that we could share with the church, and that was going to be it. What, what would those three messages be? And, and so we started off by, by talking about that, that great truth. It's actually the great hope that we have. Jesus is coming again. And yet we ask that very penetrating question that we must be asking, are we ready? Am I ready? Last week, Pastor Vaughn went to uh, Matthew chapter 7, and he brought what I call a grip it and rip it message. You know what I'm saying? You know what that is? That's when, when I say grip it and rip it, it's when it's like you grip it and you bring it. And that's what he did. And, and fantastic, God used him. And, and we talked about this whole thing that, that we can have assurance of salvation, but we, we must understand that the object of that assurance is so important. If it's anything other than the gospel, we are in trouble. And so, so we hit that. So today we're jumping into to 1 Corinthians 13. Now I've got a quick question for you. When you hear 1 Corinthians 13, what comes to your mind first? Oh man, I can tell you who went to Sunday school. <laughs> yeah, like, like if you had to memorize something, like that was probably it. Or, or how many of you have been to a wedding where they read from 1 Corinthians 13? Yeah, yeah. You probably, like some of you had it in your own wedding. In fact, I'm flying back to Cincinnati to officiate my niece's wedding this next week, or this week. And they have this really cool element of the ceremony in which uh, it's kind of like a, I don't know what else you call it, like a Bible ceremony in which there, it's just a commitment to build their marriage uh, on the principles of God's word, to submit themselves to God's leisure. It's actually a great ceremony. But then they've asked me to read, you know, 1 Corinthians 13. Now, here's the deal. When we hear that, like some of us probably even have like 1 Corinthians 13 or parts like hanging up on our wall somewhere. And that's great. And then we, we're like, oh man, I, that, man, it just really hits me. Well, here's the deal. We don't know this. Or we, I shouldn't say we don't know this. Maybe we don't think about this. There are 12 chapters that precede 1 Corinthians 13 that give us context to what he's saying here. And there are three chapters that follow. And what, I'm gonna just blow our minds. 1 Corinthians 13 was not originally given as, I don't know, like, like good news, you know, like a commitment for, to be read at a wedding or something like that. Now, nothing wrong with that, don't get me wrong. But 1 Corinthians 13 is actually presented as a rebuke. Yeah, like, like you probably what I'm gonna share this morning, you're like, are you kidding me? Like, what's going on with this? Uh, you gotta hang with me. And so, so here's what you can know. The, the Apostle Paul is writing to a unique group of people. Real quick, how many of you, how many of you, uh, like in school, one of your favorite subjects in high school or whatever was, was history? Anybody, like you really like history? Okay, so I've got like a third, like two thirds, like I hated it, got Fs. And so I get that, okay? Like all you math people are like, man, I wish we could have some godly math. Well, I'll give you some. 
Information plus application equals transformation. That's gospel math. You got it right here. This is good. We started. So, so, so here's the deal. I got to take you on a, we're, we're going to go back though, because there's a little history that I want us to understand that's going to bring a better understanding to 1 Corinthians 13. All right, and along the way, we're gonna get to 1 Corinthians 6 because I'm just building some context here. Okay, so this, this letter is written to a relatively young church that the Apostle Paul planted. At the time of, of them receiving this, they might have been in existence for, I don't know, five or six years, something like that. Now, this, this church, this, this church in, in, in Corinth, the, the city Corinth was, it would have been about one in the 140, 146 BC or something, as the Roman Empire was, was really beginning to, to spread, Corinth was very resistant, and uh, the Romans came in, they're like, hey, you're gonna, you're gonna resist this, we're gonna take you out. And literally, they wiped it out, brought, brought the city to its knees. If you didn't die, you fled. There was nothing left of Corinth. They, they, they made an example of Corinth. And, and for the next 100 years, like, there was nothing going on in Corinth. You know what I'm saying? Like, like nothing's going on in Corinth. Well, about 100 years later, this would have been about 50 years uh, uh, before Christ was born, around that time, Julius Caesar saw the significance of its location, because Corinth is, actually, let's, let's throw up a picture here, and I'll, I'll, give you a, I'll give you a picture of what's going on. The light yellow area here, this is Greece, the, and, and, and so uh, go to the next slide. I've drawn a little circle. I've, I've drawn this little circle, that, that little section, it almost looks like an island. It's called an isthmus. It's, it actually is, is connecting the northern part of the kingdom to the southern part of the kingdom. Here's the crazy thing. It's, it's a very, very narrow band. In fact, go to the next. I went to Google Earth uh, to get a picture. This is what it looks like. It's this very narrow uh, landmass, but Julius Caesar saw that that narrow landmass was very, very significant because, here's the deal, that every major highway in some way had to go through this area. And if you were shipping goods and you're coming, from, uh, you're coming from the east or coming from the west, most people, even when Corinth was decimated, they would offload, uh, you know, for instance, let's say you're coming from the west, you would offload on the, on the western shore, you would transport the cargo four miles to the, or so to the other side, load it, and it would save you, over, you know, well, you know, hundreds of miles going down to the south. And so Julius Caesar saw if we can actually have a presence here, there's actually some great potential because of its geographical location. And so he, he established a, a Roman garrison there. And over the next 100 years, literally, the city exploded. I mean, it exploded. To the point where 100 years later, as Paul is writing this to Corinth, this is, this is a city that, man, they have gone from nothing to something. In fact, in 100 years, they have become the go-to place. Like if you're, if you're wanting to make something of your life, if, if you are raised in poverty and you want to make it, this is where you're going to show up. You're going to show up in Corinth. This is where you went to, uh, to, to make some money. And people came from all over. It was a very diverse group. And, and here's why. Here's the nice thing. When you showed up, there's like no blue blood families. Like, you know, the family's like, we have been here for seven generations. Don't screw things. They're like Idaho. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, we get it, right? Like, we know. We know who we are. And, 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 and so, you, you know what I'm talking about. They, they didn't have any of that. 
There was no ruling class. It literally was like, if you can show up, you can achieve it, whatever costs, you can be successful. Come to Corinth, and people did. They came from Rome. Man, it was, it was filled with Rome, Jews, Greeks, uh, Egyptians. I, I mean, every kind of country. You wanted to make it, you came to Corinth. Now, here's the deal. In Corinth, it was a dog-eat-dog world. Historically, in fact, the Romans coined a phrase. You got to know the Romans, they, they, by and large, they were a pretty, you know, they're a win at all costs, but the Corinthians took it to a whole new level. They came up with a, a word called Corinthianize. And this word Corinthianize was coined to describe somebody who was like the inhabitants of Corinth, someone who, who, who was like, let's win at all costs. The, a, a person who was Corinthianized was marked by moral depravity because you got to understand that it wasn't just, you know, success wasn't fueling them. I mean, they were, they were also obsessed with sex, overlooking the city of Corinth on, 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 a, uh, on, a, on a mountain was, was the, the Aphrodite temple and the priests, if you will, those who, who practiced the religion, they were literally prostitutes and every night 1,000 prostitutes would come down from the temple into the city. You know, and, and that's how you worshiped. It was literally, if you take, you, if you take worldliness, secularism, materialism, and, and all of that, you throw it together, this is what you get. You get Corinth. And so when they're talking about being Corinthianized, this is what they're talking about. This is the place that Paul started a church. Now, when Paul came to this success-oriented, sex-obsessed city, the dog-eat-dog world that was Corinth, he was beat up, man. When he showed, in, when he showed up, he was, I mean, like, literally. Like, if you go back to Acts, you know, Acts 16, 17, 18, you get a little history of what's been going on. First of all, he and Silas were beat to within an inch of their lives in, in Philippi. They were thrown into prison, and if you know the whole story of how they were delivered from jail, they just started like having a praise and worship service, and the earthquake came. They, they get asked a really cool story. You have to check that out. But, but from there, he goes to Athens, and, and he's still recovering, but in Athens has an incredible opportunity to debate with Greek philosophers, and, and it's really interesting when you see how, how Paul, he preaches differently in different contexts. When he's preaching to Jews, uh, to the common Jews, he, he presents the gospel one way. When it's, when it's those who are, who are educated Jews, he, he shares one way. But then, man, it's very interesting on how he used philosophy to, to, to get hold of the hearts to present the gospel to the Greeks. But he leaves there and ends up in Corinth. And when he shows up in town, as was his custom, Paul would always go to, if they had a local synagogue, he would go there first, and that's what he does. You can read about this in, in Acts 18. Shows up to the local synagogue, he, he gets up to share, because it was common, if you were a Jew, you came from somewhere else, and, and especially if, if you were known as a scholar, you would have the chance to share. They would ask you to share, and so when he took, when he had the opportunity, he shared, and, and the end result was there was extreme resistance to his God gospel message. He preached Christ. There was resistance. So, it was so bad that he said what probably many of you have said before. He's like, dude, if this is a church, I'm out of here. You're like, there is no way. Read it. It's an Acts, 8, it's, it's, it's an Acts 18. In essence, he said, fine, if this is what you guys are going to be, from now on, my ministry to the Jews, I'm done. I'm done with the Jews. My ministry from here on out is going to be to the Gentiles. Man, you religious people, I'm out of here. And you're like, yeah, I get that because some of you have been there. 
Like some of you, maybe uh, years ago, you walked away from the church because of something you saw that was unchristlike. Maybe your biggest struggle, even to this day, is, is trying to put together what you read Christ teaches with what you see practice. And you try to, like, ah, and, and you wrestle with, here's the deal, you're not the first one to wrestle with that. And by the way, can I say that God is faithful to even those who wrestle with that question? Because what he did to Paul is what he'll do to many of us. He actually showed up to Paul and said, actually, what I want you to do, I want you to start a church here. In fact, you're discouraged right now. I want you to start a church in the biggest, baddest, wooliest town in the Roman Empire, and I'm gonna show you what I can do with a bunch of Corinthianizers. I want to show you how great I am. Right now, right, right now, you got to understand that you know, the, the Jews have pushed you out. Listen to me, and I'm, I'm elaborating. You, you know, you, I'm just you know, pastor's privilege, right? You know, trying to fill in the blanks. But in essence, he does. He, he calls him to plant a church here in Corinth. Corinth, doggy dog. Like I think, you remember like in the, the late 80s, early 90s, those no fear t-shirts and the like bumper stickers. Anybody remember that? Like, those t like some of you guys still have that t-shirt in your closet. Your wife is trying to get rid of that. You're like, don't throw that away. But like, like if, you, if you were born like in the 90s, you will know what I'm talking about. Like they had, like no fear had these, these slogans like, you know, if you're keeping score, winning is the only thing that counts. Like you could almost hear this testosterone fueled voice reading this. Second place is first loser. You know what I'm saying? Like I've probably said it to my kids. I don't know, I'm just saying. Actually, uh, uh, I think my favorite, I think my favorite no fear slogan said, I live with fear every day, but on Saturday she lets me play golf. I'm like, that is the <laughs> best slogan of all time, man. I'm like, that is good. Okay, I digress, okay? So my point is this. So, so God is telling Paul, I'm gonna go to this place, I'm gonna go to this place where, man, it, it's evil, they're obsessed with everything. It would appear nobody cares about God here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna send you, we're gonna start a church in the last place in the world that you think people are gonna turn to the Lord and let me show you what I'm gonna do. And here's where I want you to go to, to 1 Corinthians 6 because in 1 Corinthians 6, the, the apostle Paul, he's writing to this church and in, in a lot of the chapters outside of 1 Corinthians 13, he's giving instruction. He, he, there are some places he's complimenting them, some places he's challenging them. And, and here in chapter six, man, he does not hold back. Like he's not, he's not sugarcoating truth. And can I tell you that, that this is not the day and age for anybody, for, any, for the church to be sugarcoating truth, that we need to speak the truth in love. And here's what he says. He says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor adulterers, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor alcoholics, drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And so he, he, he says that, but then he says it, man, I, I love this. You can almost hear the amazement in his voice. He's writing and he's remembering and he's, he's, he knows the faces that, that are gonna be listening to this letter and he says this, and such were some of you. 
but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And you can almost hear Paul's like, man, look at what God has done. Church, remember who you used to be. Man, you are so, so focused. Dog eat dog. We're going to do this. And look what God's done. These, these were people who had some long religious background. Now, these were people who had been everywhere, people who had done everything, and yet God had reached them, saved them, changed them. He had transformed these people in the midst of a very dark world. And I want to pause. This isn't even my notes, but I, but I, but I want to think about this. There, it's easy for us to give up on culture. Like, if you moved here from California, it's easy for you to give up on the state of California. Like, if you moved here from, from Oregon, it's easy for you to give up on this. It's easy for us. Dude, here in Boise, who would think that, man, we're going to have some shooter at the mall? Are you kidding me right now? Sin is very real. Darkness is present. I don't know. We have people that are joining us from literally all over the place. I, I don't know where you're joining us today. You're watching online. It's easy for us to buy into the overwhelming darkness and sin that we see, but I want to remind us today that God is always greater. God's grace is stronger. It's, it's more powerful than sin. His message, the gospel message, can penetrate even the hearts of those we think are unreachable. Don't give up on anyone. Don't give up. God is greater. And this is what Paul is saying here. Man, Paul is, Paul is saying, man, remember who you used to be. This is who you were, but look what God has done. And when you, when you read the first, the first 12 chapters of, of 1 Corinthians, what you see is he's writing to a brilliant, gifted congregation. Within this church are, are, are people who are, man, they've been gifted financially. They've made it in success. They're, they're wealthy. People who are articulate. People who have incredible faith. There, there are those that are there, he says, they have the gift of prophetic revelation. There are, there are, there are people who have the gift of, of miraculous healing and so much more. There is nowhere else in scripture we see Paul talking about any of the other churches he planted, the way he talks about Corinth. This is probably his most gifted church that he's ever planted. I just wanna pause here, okay? And uh, let me just say this. If you are new to grace, you're here for the first time, maybe you're visiting or you're just checking it out. First of all, love, love, love that you're here. We always, tell, we always say, like, your first time here, like, we'll let you be a visitor once, okay? Like, like one time you can claim I'm a guest. After that, you come back, you're part of the family. You know what I'm saying? Like, well, I only get here like three times a year when I visit family. Ah, you're part of the family. Like, okay, you're, you're going to be part of us. But, but I want you to, I want you to uh, give me a little grace today because the rest of my message is going to be very pastoral. Okay, I need to talk to the Grace family, all right? And here's the, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just gonna say this. I've had the privilege, I, I was one of those kids that grew up in the church. I grew up knowing about God. I knew a lot about God before I ever knew God, right? Some of you can, can share that same story. Um, my family traveled to ministry. I went to college, uh, went to IU for Indiana for a couple of years, then, then transferred to a Bible college, traveled all four years, and, and music, three different music groups all through college, then later toured with a, with a national group. We traveled literally all over the United States. I've been to other countries. I've had an incredible privilege of, of being to all different churches. And, and it is a privilege because I've learned a couple things. First of all, I've learned that God is moving in places. I didn't, you, like, 
are you sure he can move there? Like, you know, it's funny. Like, everybody thinks that the way, what you believe and, and you're, the way you were raised, the church background you have is like the background everybody should have. Like, like, the Reformed aren't sure that Charismatics are going to heaven. And the Charismatics are like, I'm not sure the Nazarenes are going to heaven. The Nazarenes aren't sure the Baptists, you know, we're all like, I'm gonna tell you, like, if you are new to grace, here's what you need to know. We are, we're like this mis- mishmash of everything. We come from everywhere. We're literally like Corinth, man. We got, we, we, we got everybody here. One of my favorite things to do in, in our Next Steps class is ask what people's background is. We've got people, it's the very first time they've ever been to, ch- the, this is the first time they've come to church. They've never been, gone to church before. We've got people that come from, from a Mormon background, Catholic background, Jehovah's Witness background, Nazarene background, Calvary Chapel, Reformed, all this. And imagine, we all get along. Now, it doesn't mean that we agree on everything, but there's a difference between disagreement and division. We actually unify on the things that matter, on Jesus Christ. And, and what I love is that God's done a cool thing here at Grace. And I just want to say thank you. I want to say thank you for those of you who have who've just said, man, I'm, I'm going to be part of this and, and I'm going to embrace this. We're going to do this. I, I, I've never seen, and I'm not saying this, God, you got to know, I've never seen a church like Grace. It's weird. We're weird. Like, we're weird. And you're like, yeah, I know. Look at our pastor. Listen, I'm just saying. This is unique. But, but what I want us to do, while I acknowledge the fact that there are so many spiritually gifted people, there are, there are so, so many cool things that, that have been taking place, I, I, I actually want to, to do the same thing that Paul does because here's, here's what Paul is seeing in Corinth. It's not just his most gifted church it's also his most troubled church. And he offers 1 Corinthians 13 not as a wedding text, but as a rebuke. And here's what I wanna do. Guys, if this was the, the very last message that I ever preached, like, like, so help me, if I get, and that plane goes down on the way to Cincinnati, you're like, I told you, he called it. He, I do not have the gift of prophecy when it comes to this, right? But here's the deal, if this was my very last message, I am convinced what Paul shared with the Corinthian church is what we've got, we've got to be focused on because God has called us to something. The days, if Jesus tarries, the days and the opportunities that he has for Grace Bible Church in the, in the weeks, months, and years to come are, 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 are even greater than what we've already seen. We have seen some God do some incredible things. But I have to offer 1 Corinthians 13 as a rebuke. And so we pick up our reading here, and here's what the Apostle Paul says. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I'm just, I'm just a noisemaker. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries, you literally, you have you know, the, the whole free will versus predestination figured out, if that's you. You understand all mysteries, all knowledge. You have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, is what he says. I am nothing. If I give away all I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, here's what, here's what he says. He says, I gain nothing. Now he goes on, he goes on to say, to say this. It's almost like, you know, someone came and said, hey, Paul, you know, if you could describe love, how would you describe love? What would you do? And, and, and we, we think that what we're getting ready to read is, is, is simply a description of love. 
You know, when we read, love is patient and kind, love is not envy or boast, not arrogant or rude. Here's what you gotta know. This is why I say this is a rebuke. You, you have to understand the first 12 chapters to tru- and, and to have read and understand, to understand what he's saying here in 1 Corinthians 13. Because in, in, in 1 Corinthians, uh, let's see, I think I wrote it down. What was it? 1 Corinthians 8. Yeah, 1 Corinthians 8, 1. He said, you have knowledge, but you become puffed up with your knowledge. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he, he said, you, you have been, man, you, you've put your trust in God, but yet you're going back to your self-seeking ways. That, that pull of Corinthianism, you're, you're feeling that. He, he calls them out in 1 Corinthians 10. In 1 Corinthians 7, I'm going to tell you right now, like if you, if you, when we think about like scripture about, uh, you know, to husbands and wives, you know, maybe we'll go to Genesis chapter 2 or Ephesians chapter 5, you need to read 1 Corinthians 7. Like there's some hardcore teaching to husbands and wives and, and he doesn't pull any punches, but he actually calls husbands out. He says, he says, there's a problem. You're actually behaving rudely toward your wives. You don't understand what love is. And what we see him doing in 1 Corinthians 13 is not giving us a text like, oh, that, what a, he has a way with words, doesn't he? No, he literally is calling them out. He's actually contrasting. What he's really saying is, is, man, you think that following Christ is this, whatever this happens to be in, but I want to introduce you to what the substance of following Christ is truly all about. And if you're, if you're taking notes, there are two things that he just points out that it's not. And, and church, this is what I want us to get before we leave here. If, if you never hear me speak another message, I, I, I'll, I am thankful that this would be the last message you heard me hit because this is what is at the heart of this. We know this on an intellectual level, but, but guys, we've got, we've got to grasp this. He says, first of all, the substance of Christlikeness is not spiritual gifts, you see, we're obsessed. Many times, we want to we wanna follow Christ and we want to go all in for what we can get. Literally, we, we want to use Jesus to, to get something. Maybe it's, you're looking for blessing and, well, if I'll just turn my life around, he'll give me this job. And so you like make a deal with God that I'll serve you if. There are no ifs. You either serve God or you don't, Right? And what, 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 what he's doing here, what he's, what he's doing here is, is he's making sure we understand it's not about spiritual gifts. He's, he's, now listen, there's nothing wrong with spiritual gifts. We, we talk about them, we emphasize it, we teach about it, all of that. In fact, he's just finished in the chapter prior, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, giving them instruction on, on how, why they're gifted and why, you know, why they should work together, what this looks like. But he makes a point, it's not about the gift. And can I tell you that many of us have, 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 made as our focus acquiring some spiritual gift. We're, we, we are enamored with the power and the impact of a spiritual gift. And if you're chasing a gift rather than the gift giver, you're, you're, you're out of whack. You remember, what was it in Acts? And I can't remember if it was Peter, I think it was Peter. He was preaching and there was, there was, a, magi- there was a magician, Simon, uh, Simon the sorcerer they called him, that had that had. had had put his faith in the Lord. He'd listened to the message, responded. And they, they're doing all these healings, casting out demons. And he actually comes to Peter and says, hey, uh, how much, will you sell this power to me? How much does it cost to buy this power? Dude, Peter just like literally rebukes him, just flays him. And he points out, he's like, it's not about the gift. 
And yet we live like it's about the gift. Did you know that you can be spiritual, that, 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 that you can be gifted? And I would even say this, that the, that the spirit can actually use unspiritual people. Why, why, I mean, this is the essence of what Vaughn hit last week in, in Matthew 7. That's why it's such a big shock when people come in the last day and they say, Lord, Lord, we cast out demons in your name. We, we, we perform miracles in your name. We did all these great works. And he's like, hey, depart from me. I never knew you. It's because we've put our confidence in the fact that God's using us. Did you know that God has, man, scripture has many accounts of God using ungodly people. Anybody hear the name Balaam? Maybe you know about his talking donkey. By the way, that wasn't the last time a donkey talked. But the, uh, the point is, Balaam, God uses him. But in, in New Testament, three places, he's called the prophet Balaam in, in scripture, but he wasn't a good prophet. In fact, in three places in the New Testament, he's referred to as a wicked, wicked man. Anybody hear the name of King Saul? Remember that guy? There is never any place that, that we see that, that, that King Saul was ever, that he ever humbled himself before the Lord. Yet, there's, an, there's this crazy account where the Spirit of God came upon him and he prophesied. And it was so out of character for him that they coined a saying, like, is Saul now one of the prophets? Okay, let's go to the New Testament. Jesus sends out 72 of his disciples and they go out and they cast out demons. This is what scripture reveals. They cast out demons, they heal, and they preach the kingdom, they, they, they preach the, 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 the gospel of the kingdom. Among those 72 guys was at least one guy that I know was not a godly man. You know who that was? Judas. In just a short period of time, he was gonna betray Jesus Christ. The, the reason I bring this up is that it's very easy for us to buy into the fact that God has used us and that's our confidence. I had a guy that was a good friend of mine um, and, and a very, uh, he, he was part of a, a, a ministry and uh, God, God was using this ministry greatly and I'll, I'll never forget when, when he had to come clean, he'd been having multiple affairs. And when I met with him, I'll never forget what he told me. He said, I, 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 on an intellectual level, I knew this was, I knew I was, I, I wasn't, I was wrong. I wasn't living, I was living in sin. But he said, the fact that I saw God using me, it was like on an emotional level, I'm like, well, he's, elite, he's using me, so he still finds it, so I'm, I'm okay. Listen to me. The substance of Christ-likeness is not spiritual gifts. Thank God for them. God can use anyone and anything to accomplish his purposes. But what Paul wants us to understand is that the substance of Christlikeness is something else. Now, I would also say this, the substance of Christlikeness is not morality. Now, don't, don't misunderstand me. I'm all for morality. In fact, the crazy things that, we, that we've seen in, even in, our, in, in the Treasure Valley this week comes from a lack of morality. But morality is not the substance of Christ-likeness. It's the resulting fruit of Christ-likeness. I agree, like, like in the late 80s, early 90s, those of you that are around, you remember the moral majority? I, I agree with a lot of what they, what they say. I still stand for a lot of what they stood for. In the 80s and 90s, there was a lot of influence that evangelicals had. Lot, we, had we had people in high places, but you know, there has not been necessarily any lasting fruit. You can't legislate morality. Morality 
comes, for, comes, first of all, it's the fruit of lives that are transformed. And again, we need morality in our nation. But it's gonna start from people who are not seeking power and seek, they're not, they're, they're literally, they, they have a proper understanding of what the substance of Christ-likeness is. It's not gifts, it's not morality, listen to me. You already know, you're, you've already filled in the third, the third blank because you know this, is what, we're talking about this. The substance of Christ-likeness is love. This, this is what Paul is saying. It's not everything that you're putting your confidence in, it's love. And, and we know this, again, I mean, Jesus, has, Jesus said this, Paul's, Paul's saying it here, Peter says it, uh, John, I mean, you read the Gospel of John, you read 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. John, this is a huge theme for him. This is, this is the essence of Christ-likeness. But I'm, I'm wondering if our intellectual awareness is, act, if we've allowed that to penetrate if this has impacted us in any real way. What I, what I love as I, as I read 1 Corinthians 13 is the apostle Paul does not give them a checklist because that's always what we want. Show me how to do it. How can I become a better husband? Give me these seven things. Oh, I'm gonna do that. Let's do it. We're all about doing. Give me a checklist. I'll knock it out because then all I gotta see, I can see that I checked everything off and so because I've checked everything off, I then am whatever it is I'm, I'm looking for. Here's the deal, man. It's, it's, it's much bigger than that. It's much bigger. What Paul does is he didn't say, here's, here's a list of things to do to become patient and kind. He personifies love. Look at this. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not ins insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. You know, you know what I love about this? He personifies this. So any of us can put our name in for the word love, substitute our word for the name love, and there's a beautiful assessment right there. But I have a feeling that when Paul was writing this, he wasn't thinking about himself. What he was doing is he's directing the attention of this brilliant but fighting church to what truly matters. I'll guarantee you he was thinking about our Savior Jesus Christ when he wrote this. He, when he personifies love, he's, he's thinking of Christ. This is who Christ is. Man, in Philippians chapter two, he gives us this beautiful image of, of, of Christ who, who he had all that, all that you could have and yet he emptied himself. He poured it out. He humbled himself to the point of death on a cross. He was obedient. He gives us this picture of love. He personifies love for us so that we can understand this. And, 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 and you're like, yeah, okay, so, but if the substance of, of Christ-likeness is love, still, I don't know, what do I need to do? Here's it. Here's the thing, guys. It's to not be Corinthianizers. Because we can even chase spiritual success at all costs where it becomes about a platform and it becomes about an opportunity that we have or, or whatever. He, we're not called to be Corinthianizers, we're called to be Christ followers. And he said, and, and, unless you have this, this love, you're just a noisemaker. We're not called to be noisemakers, we're called to be difference makers. How do I do it? Listen, it starts by humbly receiving love. And you're like, well, yeah, but, no, there's no buts, listen to me. It's the receiving of the love that transforms us. And, and, and I, wanna, I wanna come back, because th th there's this thing, like, like Von 
Vaughn at the beginning of his message, like he, he brought the heat last week and he put his email up there and said, don't email Keith, email me. And like some of you emailed him, but then some of you emailed me. You didn't listen to him. <laughs> and then there's this whole thought that, that man, don't shake somebody's faith. No, I, we're, not, we're not into shaking people's faith, but we are into testing someone's faith. We should be testing faith. Can I tell you this? A faith that can't stand up under scrutiny is a faith you can't put trust in. What is our faith in? And you see, a lot of us have settled for having knowledge about God. Can I tell you guys? Man, what God has called us to, what he has, the opportunities that exist in the next several months, you're gonna be hearing more about this in the weeks that follow. It's, It's... not possible just by us taking some classes and getting some knowledge. We can get puffed up on our knowledge. We can, we can get, we can get uh, condescending about our gifts. We can begin to divide. We, we, we can begin to get focused on everything. We literally, within, uh, under the name of Christ, under the banner of Christ, can become Corinthianizers. And what he's saying is this. The essence of everything is love. Here's, how, here's, here's what he says. If you, if you, if you keep reading here, He says, as for prophecies, they're gonna pass away. You see, he said love never ends. It's eternal in nature. There there are some things, this gifts, they're gonna pass away. Tongues, they will cease. Knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. We think we've got it all figured out, but we really don't know. I mean, this is Paul writing this. He makes this this point. He said, "When when the perfect comes, that's when Christ comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. When uh, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mere dimly. And guys, can I tell you, that's where we're at today. We're growing. God is revealing things to us, but we're still, we, see, we don't see fully what's going on. Can I tell you, they're gonna be reformed in heaven, Baptists in heaven, charismatics in heaven. They're gonna be people in heaven they're gonna sh- be, you're gonna be shocked at because you thought you had it all figured out. Here's where it is. And literally, it was, it was actually people who grabbed the essence. It's the gospel. It's faith in Christ. It's the hope of Christ's return. It's the love of Christ. And he says, We see in a mirror dimly now, but then face to face, now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I've been fully known. And he ends this way. So now, faith, hope, and love abide. These three. But here's what he says. The greatest of these is love. Church, God has given us a significant I don't even know how to say this, a significant mission and vision. He's called us to unite people with Jesus Christ and help them take their next steps. The means to that, he, he's, he's called us, uh, to, we've been talking about this this year. You're gonna hear more about this. He's called us to be a church, not just a church in our city, but a church for our city. In fact, here in the next, next few weeks and months, we're gonna be getting rid of any excuse that anybody has for why they can't be used by God. Well, you know, my gifts just don't fit within the church. Guess what? You're gonna be hearing about what God's calling us to to make a difference here in the city. Our Grace Center that's gonna be launching later. Um, some, some, some new incredible opportunities that literally is gonna take ordinary people, people who are gifted in a lot of different areas, 
you're going to be able to use your gifts to impact our city and it's going to be a gospel motivated reach uh, way to impact our city for Christ. But here's the thing, before we ever, before we ever see the fruit, we got to understand the fruit does not come from doing. The fruit comes from being. And the, and the thing, I'm, I'm, I'm calling it right now, the thing that will keep us off mission is going to be when we make anything other than the love of Christ and that love that transforms us and the love that flows through us, the, the essence of Christianity. Yes, it's, man, it's the gospel. It's the, it's the truth of the gospel. That is what sustains us. But at the substance is this love. When, when, when Jesus was asked, we did a whole series on this. When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? What did he say? Love God with everything you have and love your neighbors yourself. And what is going to, there are many people that come to Christ and God can work in, in incredible ways. Like, I mean, I'm hearing how he's using dreams in the Middle East. He, he's been using this for years. Listen, he, is, he draws, he does his work. But, but here's what I know. Very rarely is someone argued into the kingdom of God. Listen, guys, we're winning debates these days, but we're losing opportunities. And, and, you don't, and, and don't, don't miss what I'm saying. We must stand for truth and speak the truth, but speak the truth in love. We have been called to make a difference, and a difference we're going to make, as long as we're not Corinthianizers, seeking power, cutting off, oh, condescending. It's, you know, my way or the highway. Listen, understanding right now, we, man, we know in part, the day's coming, we're gonna know perfectly, but until then, we're, we're focusing on the things that are never gonna end. Love, faith, hope. Those are the things that are gonna matter in light of eternity. And church, I'm, I'm here to tell you, man, I, I just wanna speak to those of you that are serving here. Thank you for what God is, for allowing God to use you. I love seeing what's going on. In fact, something really cool. Hey, uh, uh, at the media, do we have, I want to throw up that picture from this morning. Um, there, there, there's a picture. Dude, we, I, we had a bunch of uh, people that couldn't show up for the morning for a parking team, and Will went out and recruited who, who he got, but we got this next gen, and they killed it, man. They tore it up. Our next gen is making a difference here, and I love it, man. In fact, I had a guy that was on a park team. He came to me and he's like, man, he said, I'm gonna tell you, when I saw the kids up there, I'm like, we're in big time trouble. He goes, Pastor Keith, they're some of the best guys I've ever worked with. I mean, they killed it, man. I love it. Here's the deal, man. Some of you, you're just jumping in. You're saying, man, just use me. Whatever it's like, thank you for that. But listen, don't fall prey to the danger. Don't fall prey to the danger of God loves me because of what I'm doing. God loves you because he loves you, not because of what you do. I, I want to say this. There's some of you that you have made everybody else's gifts the litmus of your spirituality. What I mean is that you've put a limit. You're like, oh, I can't be used because I don't have the gifts of this person, that person, that person. Listen to me, every single gift that we, we just read, it's going to come to an end. It's going to come to an end. There's a limit on, you know what there's not a limit on? The love of Jesus Christ transforming you and flowing through you. There's no limit, and God knows that he can use you. And some of us have been given excuses why we, we just can't do this because I don't, I'm the proverbial redheaded stepchild. There is no such thing in the kingdom of God. You're a son and a daughter, and that's it. But I'll also say this in closing. If you are here and you're finding your confidence, your assurance of salvation in a, a moral good life, listen to me. The only way, the only way to experience the life that Christ has is not to know more, not to do more, 
but to receive. Love is not achieved, love is received. And it takes us humility. And so here's what I'm gonna do in closing. I want you to pray with me. And here's, here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. Is, as I'm praying, don't even listen to me pray. You're like, you've got the mic, you're loud. I, I know that, but listen, you, in, in your own way, in, in your own way, pray. I, I, there, there are two questions I want you to ask as we close this. And just ask God, and then let's just see what God does to respond. Number one, ask, ask, ask God this. What, from this message, do, you, do I need to hear right now? For some of you, it's gonna be, I need to receive the love of Christ now. That's, that's you. And, and by the way, just so you know, after the, the, the service, there are gonna be people up here, they have red lanyards. We're here to pray, talk, counsel, what, what, whatever. We're, but primarily, we just wanna help you take your next steps. If that's you, you come up and, and, and spend time with us. The second, the, but the second question that, that you know, what, what is it that, that you want me to hear from this? The, you know, the, the second question is, is this. How do I need to respond? Let God, can I tell you, those are prayers that God's gonna answer. And let's just see what God does. Church, he has a future for us. But before we do, we have to be and we have to receive the love that is gonna last for all eternity. Father, thank you so much for your truth. Thank you for your word. I thank you for the incredible privilege that you've given me to be on mission with this group of people. And God, it is the craziest thing. Who would have ever thought that you'd take a, a motley group of people? We come from so many different backgrounds. We're unchurched, de-churched, church, whatever. We come from all these different theological backgrounds, different church backgrounds, whatever. And, and what's uniting us is the truth of your word, the gospel, and, and Father, the love that you've given us. And God, I'm convinced that what you wanna do in us and, and through us is, is, is greater than we can even imagine. So God, what I'm asking is in this moment, just as, as we are, we're asking this question, first of all, what, what is it that you want me to hear today? And Lord, the second question, how should I respond? God, that's it. For, for some of us, it's just literally, it's that, that act of humility. The knees, on our knees, hands raised, Lord, I receive your love. We must receive before we can ever give. We get up, give out of the abundance. But Lord, Father, I'm, I, I, I know that for, for many of us that are doing great things, God, it's just, a, it's a recentering, it's a recalibration. And so God, may we not make anything else the substance of following Christ than what you've called it to be. May it be love for you. May we love you with everything we have. Love our neighbors ourselves, but understand that love comes from you. And for what you're going to do through this group as we walk through these doors and we as we go out and we are the church, we live as the church. God, I wanna thank you for the fruit that's gonna come because it's your fruit, not ours. Thanks for using a bunch of, saving a bunch of Corinthianizers even here in Nampa and using us for your kingdom and for what you're gonna do. We'll thank you and I pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Man, it's so good to have you here. Don't forget, next week we're kicking off this new series, uh, new series, Heaven's Headlines. It's gonna be awesome. Bring somebody with you. But if you came prepared to be part of Operation Christmas Child, drop off your box there in the back. Have a great day. We'll see you next week.